0: listening to the Business and Barbecue Podcast, hosted by Tim Harridge. Tim Herridge is an active entrepreneur who built and sold six companies by the age of 40 and enjoys sharing the ups and downs of business and entrepreneur life. As for the barbecue, that's just something he has a passion for and likes to share as well. Here's your host, Tim Harridge.
1: All right, all right. What's cooking, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Business and Barbecue Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Harridge. I have been missing in action for the last two weeks. My oldest son graduated high school. I turned the ripe old age of 41, took a little bit of time with the family over Memorial Day, went on a little vacation. But now I'm back. I'm ready to spend my summer with you. And here we go with another episode of the Business and Barbecue Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking to my good friend, Michael Plax. Michael is a tax genius. Michael specializes in helping real estate investors and entrepreneurs keep more money, operate their business, Properly, and most importantly, he helps them outsource the things they're not good at, like accounting. It's going to be a really good episode. Stick around. We're going to talk about wealth, income, the difference in the two, and several steps that any entrepreneur can take today to organize their business where they can ask a true tax professional to help them keep more of their hard earned money. We'll be right back. You're going to love meeting Michael. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com/th and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free title and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com/th to get started today. All right, everybody, welcome to this episode of the Business and Barbecue Podcast. This episode has come about because a couple weeks ago, we ran a Facebook poll in the Business and Barbecue Podcast Facebook group and just said, hey, entrepreneurs, what are you interested in? Mm-hmm. The number one thing was marketing. So we knocked out marketing that week. To my surprise, the, the number two thing was tax strategies and
0: You're expecting
1: it to be number one? Well, a lot of times entrepreneurs aren't worried about their taxes, Michael, until it's too late, right? And I'm sure you'll say a lot about that. But a lot of times entrepreneurs really do focus on marketing and sales and products and all of this stuff while they leak away all their profits. But I'll get ahead of myself. When I saw the result, I said, okay, who can we have? And within the real estate investment industry, there's really no one that's recommended as much as Michael Plax down in Houston. So we connected. We have Michael on the podcast today. Michael, say hello.
0: Hey, hello, everybody. And in case you haven't run across me yet, I'm Michael Plax, and I'm known as Black Belt in real estate taxation. All of mine, there is Black Belt there are my sparring gloves because somebody has to punch out Uncle Sam, and that's my job. Okay, I've been in this business for 20 years, known team for 10 years, I believe or so, and let's roll.
1: All right, I think... There's so many different rabbit holes we could go down. Just if you could, Michael, tell the audience a little bit about you and your specialty. And then I really want to spend the next 20 to 30 minutes talking about that top five to 10 things that you see people wasting money on. Kind of five to 10 things that you see a lot of entrepreneurs and real estate professionals making big mistakes on.
0: Okay. Tim, you know, honestly, I don't want to talk much about myself. I'm probably the least interesting part of the podcast, except for my, you know, East Texas accent. Other than that, just a boring accountant dealing with real estate. But since my business is exclusively working with real estate people, right? there are very few people who can claim that nationwide and we work with real estate investors only. And 20 plus years, so I have seen thousands of investors in all stages. Some of them we watched growing from zero to big boys, and some we watched going from big boys to zero. You know, so we know what (laughs) works. (laughs) We know what works, what does not work. Yes, so I have a lot of observations, and I also have a lot of opinions. So I have some very strong opinions and I don't care if somebody disagrees, I'm old enough to not care, you know, so I'll gladly share my opinions. And my first one starts is people confuse two things, Uh, like, which to me, the starting point, when we talk about real estate investments, people confuse income and with wealth, income and wealth are two completely different things. And when people saying is I'm real estate investor, and you ask, what are you doing? I'm a wholesaler. God, like, it's good to be a wholesaler but you are not an investor. Okay. Let's I want to be very clear about again again my opinion everybody has an opinion we are online everybody will disagree but my opinion is this is okay. Investor is somebody who owns property okay and owns property long term. This is what investment is. You put money in and you wait for that and you wait for your money to work. Everything else is a job. Being a wholesaler is a job. Being a flipper is a job and it's necessary for income, right? If you lost your job, If you need money to pay your rent, yes, you need to do something. Wholesaling is the natural thing to do, but that's just a job. Why is it a job? Very simple test, guys. What happens if you stop doing it for three months? (laughs) What happens? Your savings run out, you're broke. Okay, so what happens with flipping after you sold your flip? Okay, cashed your check, mandatory posted on Facebook, everybody put 55 likes. For a minute, you know that, yes, you, you just cash a check. Wonderful. What happens three months later after you spend all of this money? So that's a job. You have to keep doing that. So when we talk about and it's job and it's producing income, good income, maybe more fun income than sitting in a cubicle, but it's still job with income. What you need ultimately, if you are building wealth, is something that works for you when you don't. And historically, you know, there are only two things you can do. You can buy real estate or you can buy businesses. Either real estate or businesses. People say, like, you can buy securities like stocks... Yeah, but stocks own real estate or businesses underneath. Right. You either have own real estate or you own businesses. We are in real estate world, so yes, you buy real estate. So when we talk about investment and long-term strategy, the strategy is acquire real estate and keep it. As simple as that. Now, people like, I'll continue being opinionated because people love to bring notes into conversation. It's so popular right now. Owner financing, notes, and stuff is okay. Guys, notes is not wealth either. It's income, but not wealth. Here is why okay (laughs) nothing wrong with notes i'm all for notes great way to make income but after the note is paid off you have nothing there is no income there is absolutely nothing and you can have a great cash flow but you have to continue to acquire notes all the time notes does not grow notes are depreciating assets They reduce from the time you bought it to zero eventually. It's a declining
1: income stream with a declining asset base. Right. Every month you make less interest and you have less of a note receivable.
0: Correct. So the only real asset, the only real like long-term growth is own real estate. Now, what is that? That's like everybody's preference. You can own mobile homes, you can own single family homes, apartment complexes, commercial buildings, uh, storage facilities, Airbnbs, whatever. But you have to own something that will consistently generate cash when you're not doing that. So when people talk about long-term wealth, long-term wealth is... How do you? Maybe right now you are not in a position to do that. Maybe right now you have to feed your family, have to do wholesaling. Fine. But your strategy has to be built around as soon as possible, getting to the point where you can acquire and keep properties.
1: Right. So when you said that and I got all like excited, it was because I went through that revelation on my own, right? I mean, I, I had to kind of figure it out and I'm not opposed to notes. I've, I bought some notes right. a couple if months ago. I- right? That Mm -hmm. were a distressed note sale. We bought them for 50% of the unpaid balance. It's good income. I had a house uh, last month that I bought it for a hundred grand and owner financed it as is for uh, 140 grand and got 9%. It's a great income play on a house that didn't fit my rental strategy. So it's one of those things like I love doing it, but it's not investment. It's not long-term
0: wealth. Correct. Okay. I'm happy to hear that we are on the same page as we usually are. Right. You know, when
1: Experience is a great alignment tool, right? Once you've made enough mistakes, you're typically on the same level with other people that have been doing it for 20, 30 years, you know? Well,
0: let's continue opinions, I guess. Okay. I love your opinions. Okay. Next opinion. Okay. Different topic. Okay. Not talking about income wealth, now switching topics. People talk about taxes. Well, I'm a tax guy, so right. Of course, taxes. Everything. Here is what I'm against. Yes. When people first thing they start discussing is about tax benefits of real estate. Okay. I'm buying real estate because of tax benefits. This is number three consideration, way below number one and number two. Okay. When you buy real estate, you buy it for two things, and the first two you can put in either order, whatever you like. It's cash flow and appreciation. You buy it for cash flow. You buy it for appreciation. Preferably both. I know successful investors who focus only on one of the sides, like focus on appreciation or on cash flow and ignore the other side. Ideally, of course, you have both. But tax benefits is the distant earn. It's nice to have it, but it's the icing on the cake. It's not the cake. And people so many times I'm saying is like, oh, like when we talk about something and realize somebody is not in a position to benefit in his particular financial situation. And I had people is. Then why did I buy that? And they sell it and think, like, what are you doing? You did not buy it for taxes. You bought it to become wealthy. Yes, Tim, you wanted to say something. It's
1: kind of like when I sit at a restaurant or a happy hour and someone will buy me a drink and say, don't worry, it's a write off. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, and I've done it when I was young, trying to act cool for my friends. Oh, I'll buy. It. Don't worry. I can write this off as business. And, It's like, that's not the reason to spend money.
0: (laughs) No, it's very simple. We'll talk about, if it's a write-off, let's reframe that. What happens when it's a write-off, it's not free. Like somehow people be, it's write-off, it's not free. It's not free, it's a discounted thing. So what happens if if you bought something for hundred bucks, you wrote off of taxes, maybe you saved yourself $30 on taxes. So, you ended up paying 70 instead of 100. Okay, you bought it at a discount, it's still not free. Right. So, people are saying, What else can I spend money on so I get more tax deductions? Like, as simple as it, we have you only buy what you need, you only spend money on what you need to spend money. Never pay anything just to get a tax deduction. Okay, so like I mentioned, so it's a distant third to get tax benefits from real estate. Let's like briefly outline. What are the tax benefits of real estate? But before talking about that, momentarily, I will look back to that income versus wealth discussion. If you are in the income part of real estate, if you are wholesaling, if you are flipping, there are no tax benefits. That income part not only does not create wealth, it does not produce tax benefits. You make money the hard way by working hard and you pay taxes on top of that and high taxes, usually. We have strategies to minimize them, but there are not tax benefits, there are extra taxes. If you are on the wealth side, not only are you building long-term wealth by investing in rental properties, but here you have benefits. So briefly, what those benefits are. So number one, you can have, remember like what the reasons are. We have cash flow and appreciation. So cash flow, you can have cash flow without extra taxes. Now That sounds strange, but that's how it works very often. You can have rental property, you generate 1,000 rent per month, and your carrying costs, everything included, is 800. So you have that 200 positive cash flow per month. But when you file your taxes, it shows that you have no. Money or you have zero. Why? Because of depreciation and all those techniques that we do. But in reality, in no other business can you, well, take it back. There are a couple other businesses like oil and gas where it can work that way. So <laughs> you can, but real estate is the most common business where you can have cash flow without increasing your taxes. So that's clearly benefit number one. Benefit number two, we say, appreciation is the second goal of owning real estate. Appreciation means you make more money. When you make more money, you usually pay taxes eventually when you make that money, which is when you sell. In real estate, we have strategies when you can sell but not pay taxes on that capital gain. So that's like second benefit. You can defer it into the future. Sometimes you can avoid it completely. There are different strategies dealing with that. Third one is, as the property grows in value, you can pull cash out of that. You can pull equity and refinance like do cash refi and you won't have to pay taxes on that that's not a magic uh, rule eventually it will cost you more taxes at the end of the deal but maybe not again if you combine different strategies you can have the ultimate strategy and i will describe the ultimate strategy which everybody in real estate should at least consider doing here's the ultimate strategy is yes. You get your first property, let it appreciate, then you do an exchange, a 1031 exchange, from that property into a bigger property, from that one into even a bigger property, even bigger. And then eventually you own huge property and you die with it. And then that property goes to your children, tax-free, and that capital gain completely erased. That's your ultimate tax playing, and a lot of people are actually doing that. And then, of course, you have self-directed IRAs and all kinds of other strategies uh, that are not specific to real estate, but I commonly used in real estate to accelerate your wealth building. What's so your favorite team?
1: You said on like a rental property, if you refinance it, you can pull the cash out without paying taxes on the cash out. But you said ultimately it costs you more. Why is that?
0: Well, here is what happens. The only time where you would not worry about that if you are using 1031 exchanges. Let's take an example. Okay. So you bought property for a hundred grand and you have a 75,000 loan on it. Okay. So after a few years, uh. The property value went up to 150. You refi it at 100. So you had 75 loan. You refied it at 100. Pulled out 25 in cash. At that point, there are no tax consequences. None. You don't pay any taxes because you pulled that 25 out. But what happens here and that confuses people a lot? Let's say you sell this property the next year. You sell it at 150. You know, same price. Let you know. Let's to simplify the example. And now you have 100 grand loan on that. You pay off the loan and you believe, oh, I only made 50. But what happened is at that point, at 25 that you pulled out is added to your capital gain. Now, my example is not really accurate from technical. I'm trying to translate taxation into beginner investor terms.
1: Yeah, so, so you're talking that- more like a common misconception, right? Mm-hmm. People, they think that their 25000 like makes it where they made less in the deal, but they don't.
0: Right. Right. If When you sell a property, what will end up is you will pay taxes on that 25 when you sell the property. And people get upset because they're saying, I did not bring that much cash from the closing. Why? Oh, well, because a few years ago when you refied, you pulled 25 tax-free back then. Right now, it's time to pay for that, time to catch up. Well, so if you it, never sell the house. <laughs> then 1031 it, yes, then you don't worry about that.
1: absolutely. So it's kind of funny you talk about that. My goal when I was Yes, a I, younger, yes I talk funny. I agree, him was to have a lot of free and clear houses. Like I used to think, I really want to own these things free and clear. I don't want to owe anything. And after I did my time with Blackstone and and, and I talked to this billionaire friend of mine, his whole thing was like, Tim, that's completely wrong. You don't ever want to pay off a house. Leverage it to the hilt. Get as much low interest responsible money as you can because he's like, that's tax free. He said, what you don't want to do is ever sell a house. So now as I sit here a lot more experienced. I'm thinking, I told my wife this, I want to get to 40, 50, really quality, appreciating, primo houses. I used to buy the 80, $100,000 houses. And now most of my houses are 220 to 300. They're really, really nice houses. And I told her, I said, look, if we refinance, the number was 40. I wanted to have 40 houses. And I thought every 20 years I'd refinance a house or every house would get refinanced every 20 years because I'm like, then I'm always paying interest, right? Which comes off the top line. Now I run out of depreciation, what, around year 27 and a half, but always able to recapitalize the business in a tax-free manner is kind of my idea. Okay.
0: That's my opinion. Uh, I'll just insert one technical correction here because when you refi, depreciation does not change. Right you won't have new depreciation because of that. But yes, yes. There are different schools of thought and that's like general financial concept. It has nothing to do with taxes. Whether you leverage to the max or whether you keep your equity high, that is debatable. You know, it's like religion. You know, it's like Ford against uh, Chevy. You know, which truck is better? You will forever argue about that. You will have people making arguments both ways. I'm in the leverage school of thought, but I acknowledge that people who talk about keeping equity high and leverage small have their points too. Right. As you look at entrepreneurs in general,
1: what do you see that people could do? I mean, do you think that it's more important to, Start right or just course correct as you start to grow?
0: It's very important to start right if I only knew how to start right. (laughs) You know, it's just, I did not start right in my business. Okay, Like it took me years and what you call like course correction all the time. That's what our life is. That's the way we deal with careers, personal relationships, businesses, everything is like that. I think the key is to start. If you focus how to start right, you will never start anything.
1: Let's talk about starting because there's a lot of new entrepreneurs. There's a lot of business owners that I do business with that are getting paid in their personal name. I always think that's a bad idea. If you're starting a new business, what's like a basic, do you recommend like just a single member LLC or do you recommend someone form a partnership with another friend? That way it's a K1. And just imagine a small budget service business. How do you recommend someone
0: start a little right? Okay. Small-time business, when you start, is what I say, you know, like I I have opinions, okay? Again, my opinion is you don't do anything. Okay. When you start, you focus on making money. That's the only thing you should focus on when you start. Once you made money, then we need to think about how to set up your business. This is why I'm saying that, it's very briefly. And it sounds counter uh, to common conception that, Everybody talks about how you need to start different structures, asset protection, tax benefits, all of that. First, asset protection is not my department. That's for attorneys. And attorneys always disagree about that. You know, I'm one of the top contributors to tax and legal forum on Bigger Pockets. And I'm, like, very active on Facebook groups uh, related to tax and legal stuff. I even founded our own group, like REI tax and legal wizards. And every time there is a conversation like that on Facebook, at real estate clubs, on bigger pockets, everywhere, attorneys completely disagree. Like attorneys joke, and I, it's not really a joke. They say, ask two attorneys, get free opinions. <laughs> and with asset protection, that's a rule. Right. So, I, and I cannot step in that at all because I'm not an attorney, right? So if your attorney says you need to set up something for legal protection, sure. That's his job to protect you. But one of my favorite attorney friends has a saying which I love to quote. He says... Clients who come to me for asset protection do not have asset protection problem. They have asset accumulation problem. So for me, it's like, okay, accumulate assets first, worry later.
1: I agree, right? Because I tell people all the time, they, they get tied up in a series LLC or a limited partnership or this or that. And, I, and my, my opinion is just always, I tell people like, if you have enough money where that's an important question, then you have enough money to hire an attorney to give you the answer. Yes. Right? And, I agree. I agree. But with a sole proprietor, what I'm trying to say is, so here, I'll give you a good example. You've probably seen this a hundred times. This is my accounting paperwork for the week. Perfect. Right? I was on vacation last week, right? So all of this is separated into separate companies and separate this and that. It it does not, the output is not that organized. But I see a lot of small entrepreneurs that could at least go set up another personal checking account for their business. Yes. Where at least they can keep it separate. So- Talk about like record keeping. I see so many people like they don't, I I asked a guy the other day that I was looking at investing in his company and I said, well, where are your corporate books? Oh, I, I don't have an accountant. I'm like, well, dude, you don't need an accountant. Like, do you have an Excel spreadsheet? Do you have Quicken or QuickBooks? Or I mean, like, I guess what I'm saying is let's avoid the legal opinions. Like how can one organize their business to make it where when it is time to come to you, When it is time to figure out how much they really made, what are some like quick tips that you've, are there any apps out there you see people using to track their mileage? Any
0: ideas or something you could share? Sure, of course. Okay. But I'll return to a question in a second. I just want, before I forget, them, insert something here because you were talking about, we started talking about entities and setup, right? And I said, everybody, when they ask me a question, what's the best strategy, they assume that I'm going to tell them something about forming an S corp, you know, forming some kind of complicated entity, you know, setting up sophisticated entity structure and loopholes, but really where the most potential is is keeping good records, but- something that you just started talking about, team. And it's it's boring. It's so not sexy to talk about bookkeeping. It's like one of the most boring things you can invent to talk about other than tax code and politics. Well, politics.
1: <laughs> politics has gotten politics. kind of exciting uh, lately. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Anyway, so that's where the greatest potential is because where we have problem is people come to us and saying is. Okay, I need to prepare taxes. How much you spend on that rehab? Like, where are you at? Oh, I don't know. Like, I think I spend about 25 grand. What does it mean about? You know, and first when somebody says twenty-five, it never means they spend twenty because we tend to cheat, you know, to fool ourselves by pretending that we did better. Yeah, so if somebody yeah, yeah. says about twenty-five, probably he spent thirty-five. <laughs> if you only have receipts for twenty-five, he's throwing away ten thousand worth of deductions. 10,000 worth of deductions, he throwing away like three, four grand of actual cash, like uh, of tax savings that he could have received. And we're throwing away thousands. And then people talk about corporations, like, but get corporations, get your ducks in a row first, get Get your simple things. So he said, how do you set up? Okay. I prefer simplicity. You know, I call myself lazy accountant. I don't want to do more work than I have to. And I don't want my clients to do more work than is necessary. So what is necessary is first time you set up, start by creating different account at your bank. Go to your bank, open different account. Doesn't even have to be a business account. Could be another personal account, but use it exclusively for business. And get into a very simple, but very important habit. Everything related to business, you pay only out of the business account. So if a business account is empty, people saying is like, we have clients and they come to us and they have twelve mortgage payments. We look at the bank statements; there are ten of them. Where are the other two? Oh, you know, there were two months when I didn't have cash in my business account, so I paid it out of purse Dude, it's just a two-step process: move money from personal account into business and pay it from business. Right. Also, it's like you made some money, you closed on a deal, you want to put down payment on your new car. Great. Again, two-step. Move it from business account into personal and write it, check to the dealership from your personal account. And then you can, of course, post yourself next to your new car on Facebook. So everybody knows you really are successful, you know, because how else you can prove it? (laughs) Yes. So number one habit is absolutely like start creating account. And create a habit of paying that. Habit number two, stop using cash. Don't pay anything in cash. Avoid cash. People saying as well, those people don't take checks, like don't take credit cards. Come, on. Everybody can use PayPal these days. There are electronic ways to pay people. Like You have to find like really the only people who, would, who you would have to pay cash is like Home Depot parking lot people. But I have a problem with hiring these people anyway. Like I don't recommend you use them no matter how cheap they are. And that's a different conversation though. Anyway, so avoid doing cash. Third one is start using app. Like people before said, yes, I have shoebox. I'm throwing my receipts because I don't know how to use QuickBooks. You don't need QuickBooks when you start, okay? Use something simple. Like you mentioned, okay, spreadsheet, fine. But spreadsheet still requires some computer skills. There are so many simple applications. Google, like put like in Google, like best apps for expense tracking. Like what people use, okay, there is one called Expensify. I'm not saying it's the best. It's one of the most popular. Like if you want just one, use Expensify. Okay. You want to use or use like there's like QuickBooks for self-employed application. It has a receipt tracking and mileage tracking built into that when just mileage tracking there is an app called Mile IQ a lot of people use Mile IQ like there are so many apps you know that it's so easy to use that right now really there is no excuse to not do that you just take your phone snap a picture of your receipt or like put you look at your route anyway, where you are going. So just when you get on the road, tap it once. It starts recording. And when you arrive, tap it second time. And it created that log for you. Log that Uncle Sam is asking everybody to show when you get audited. That's his first question. Show me your mileage log. And people say, I didn't keep it. I cannot understand why anymore. Like 10 years ago, I could understand. 10 years ago, we were, our most popular product was, I still have it, just lazy to get up from my desk and bring it to show. Printed log books, like where people could write, you know, their expenses and mileage. And people complained it's too much work. But right now, everything is on your phone. Those three things, create separate account, uh, avoid using cash, and start using apps for tracking uh, expenses and receipts. Now, once you go to the next step, once you start owning properties and doing flips and real estate uh, rentals, now then I have bad news for you because bookkeeping at that level is extremely complicated. Extremely complicated to the point where even if you hire professional bookkeepers, unless they're real estate specialty bookkeepers, they don't know how to do it right. So right. for years, we struggled with that. We tried to find bookkeeping partners. We tried to hire people to do that, like find different outsourced solutions. We ended up creating in our form our own proprietary bookkeeping system on which we put our clients, which is specific for real estate. You don't need it until you own properties. But when you do, that's one of the greatest lifesavers that we can offer people. We had people, when we first time trained them in our system, response is always when Harry meets Sally. And it was like, oh, like, finally, <laughs> like, yes, you know. Finally, I can do things in a reasonable way because what we do is the hardest part is to enter sales, revis and purchases from closing statements. So we do it for our people, ourselves. The rest is automatically pulled from your credit card and bank statements. And automated for you, so it's excellent system. And huh. but that's what we had to do for real estate investors who are at professional level. But when okay. you just start, use any app, and that will and get into the habit of recording everything. So
1: let's say a plumber make a lot of money, and I want to start buying. Some. What do we mean?
0: Let's say you do make a lot of money.
1: Well, but I'm not a plumber. And let's just say that I wanted to buy a rental property. Should I buy that rental property in my plumbing company? Should I buy it in my personal name? Or should I go create a new LLC?
0: Before I answer, I have to take a minute detour. You said plumber who makes a lot of money and you are talking to me. So I have to tell that uh, old joke, which is just like the CPA calls a plumber. Uh, and like after fifteen minutes of fixing something, plumber hands him a bill like for three hundred dollars, and CPA looks at it, and I'm saying is like, wow, I'm a CPA, and I charge less than you doing because I charged less when I was a CPA too. <laughs> okay, so what that plumber should do? Uh, you're asking is uh, whether he should buy rental property in his own name or uh, name of a company. It's okay. Again, there are two aspects: legal. And taxes for legal, that's a question to his attorney. His attorney will probably tell him that for legal protection, he needs an LLC. On my end, for taxes, it does not matter. That's what surprises people, but I'm trying to explain it okay. When you have rental property, LLC does not do anything for you on taxes. There are no extra deductions. There is no new tax benefits. You don't save on taxes anything. The result is exactly the same. In fact, the most common situation, if it's just you, if it's you team, you know, Or like you and Jennifer, like whatever, like husband and wife, uh, LLC, you won't even see it on your tax return. You have it for legal protection, but on your taxes, it will look exactly the same as before LLC, with or without the same result. But people say, well, I can put it in a separate company and treat it as a partnership. Fine, but at the end of the day, the result again is exactly the same. Nothing changes with rentals. If you want to address your taxes with entities, that's the game that is played by people like Plummer. Okay, a plumber who makes a lot of money in your example. Plummer can benefit from a corporate structure. You can possibly create an S-corp and he can save on self-employment tax. If he really makes a lot of money, he can maybe create a C-corp and save on taxes even more. But that is for people who have what we call active income. In the real estate world, it's realtors, wholesalers, flippers. Those people, when they make enough money, may need a structure. What I hate is when people give that one rule, the thing is everybody should do that. It's like, there is a rule of thumb. Can we see your thumb? Yeah, exactly. Like, ha, you. what happened to your thumb?
1: I cut it with a knife. You know, I like to cook a lot.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, I was just saying the rule of thumb today for team is just perfect illustration. Team has a special thumb today. <laughs> so rule of team's thumb would be like: okay, everybody creates an S score. It's bull. Not everybody creates an S-Corp, even if you are a flipper or wholesaler, because S-Corp helps people only in specific circumstances. More so, in some circumstances, S-Corp can hurt you and cause you to pay more taxes, and people are shocked by that, but that's the case. So you never say everybody creates an S-Corp. You create a S-Corp in certain situations. So for some people, it will help. For others, it won't. But if you are doing rentals, it will never help reduce your taxes. So for rentals, you have other tax strategies, but not entities. And by the way, you never buy rentals in corporate structures. Not S-Corp, not C-Corp. They are wrong structures to hold rentals.
1: I think the real estate investing industry has to do a better job about educating themselves on the devastating impacts of running a dealer business. I'm estimating the last two years, my wholesaling business has only run about a 20% net margin after taxes. And that's probably maybe even a little high. It may be about 15 to 18% net margin after taxes. You know, we're probably running a 30% EBITDA, right?
0: If you had a real bookkeeping system, you wouldn't be saying probably.
1: (laughs) But I don't. (laughs) But no. So I bring that up because knowing your margins, right? If you can increase those margins, you can do less. You can actually enjoy the fruits of your labor, right? If you can just, it's like I tell everyone, you know, if you're trying to make 50 Gs a month and you can operate on a 50% margin, well, okay, you only got to do hundred grand in gross, right? But If you can get that up to 80%, you know, I mean, now you only got to do 70,000. Or sixty five thousand. So it, it's kind of one of those. I'm personally working on that better, like what you just said. I'm personally trying to understand my margins and my expenses and and fix them to where the business is much more sustainable. Which I think then makes my life more enjoyable. So I think that's a good segue to let's talk about what your firm can do for you. Only, I think you you said earlier you only work with real estate investors, but so if there's any real estate investors listening to this, what all can your firm do for them
0: our experience has shown that the bigger the operation is usually the messier it is on the internal situations like if you start feeling is like yeah like i'm i i spent 20 years in business you know and should know better why mine is not still taken care of well because you have a big business and our observation over the years is literally the biggest investors have the worst mess and some of our testimonials came from pretty big, uh, well-known investors who tell us that when they came to us first time, it was complete mess. And uh, to a point is like that. What does it mean, mess? Okay, like I just had bad books. No, you didn't have bad books. Those bad books cost people sometimes in three digits in taxes, like up to 100 grand of unnecessary taxes that on a big enough operation they were paying because they did not know what they were doing, didn't have strategies. And not having books creates even things. When one of the big investors, when started the first year, and we're asking, exchanging emails with their bookkeepers and asking us, what is like this $65,000 item? We cannot like link it to anything. They started looking and figured out it actually was embezzled. So like things like that happen when your house is not in order. We have, right. it's like real people, real stories. And we, when we started, I'm like, our company was doing tax preparation, like basically, well, we are still called REI Tax Firm, Real Estate Investment Tax Firm. Oh, by the way, anybody wants to find it, it's REItaxfirm.com. Very easy to find us. But we don't do tax preparation by itself anymore because what we found is that the real problem is not taxes. Taxes is the last step. The real problem is keeping things structured, orderly, and organized where you know your margins every minute, where you know where your weak points are where you know where you are making the most money and you can adjust. We talked earlier about how, do you do things the right the right way from the beginning or do you change your course as you go? You always change your course, but you want to know where to change your course, like need some data. You cannot adjust where you are going if your GPS is off, if you don't know where you are. So what we do is we have all of our clients right now our annual advisory programs, which includes everything. We obviously, we do their taxes, but more importantly, we set them up with good bookkeeping system. We have regular quarterly meetings, strategy sessions where we discuss, where we analyze financials, where we help them advance their business, where they have good picture of what happens with their business, how much taxes they owe. Of course, we offer all the loopholes and strategies that exist there. God forbid, have to be audited. Well, we're here to without. With the red gloves so we can punch Uncle Sam out and defend our people. So here is what we do, like basically all-inclusive tax advisory and financial support for investors. And since we spent 20 years in that business, I mean, we speak your language. You know, we have people like, you know, and not just me, like my staff. You know, we have clients, they come talk to my people and they start explaining you know, and doing my like people saying, okay, so you do wholesaling. Oh, you know what I do? <laughs> of course we do. Like, dude, like that's our business. We know what you are doing. And uh, it's funny, sometimes I post on Facebook and occasionally deals with issues like construction and people saying it's like, how do you know that? You're a tax guy. I'm a real estate tax guy. I know things. <laughs> We're trying to bring value to people's businesses, tangible value which comes from having control of your financials. And of course, minimizing your taxes is part of that.
1: I absolutely agree. Michael, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and I want to talk to you about some interesting things and finding a passion and a hobby that maybe you could turn into a tax write-off. And of course, I've got to talk to you about barbecue. Stick around. We'll be right back. Start collecting more leads in minutes. Not only do I use HubSpot's free CRM, but I also use their free marketing tools. Start turning visitors into leads today. Sign up for free at HubSpot.com slash TH. Sign up for free today and it's free forever. No contract or credit card required. It's a risk-free way to see what inbound marketing can do for you. Start turning visitors into leads today. Sign up for free at HubSpot.com slash TH. So, Michael, I really appreciate you being on today, but I have one more thing I have to talk to you about. Go. Do you like barbecue?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was afraid it's going to come to that. You know, I'm Russian, no Texan, right? (laughs) I like barbecue, but I can't tell you much about that. See, unlike you, I cannot really, like, I would lie to you if you give me, if you blind a test on me. Place from a famous place and uh, from Walmart. I probably won't be able to tell you.
1: (laughs) Well, we're going to have to get you up here to Dallas or I'll have to come down to Houston. What we'll do is we'll go to Dickie's Barbecue and you'll see what barbecue is not supposed to be. And then we'll take you to a good barbecue place and we'll show you what it's supposed to be. And then you'll know the
0: difference. One thing I can talk about barbecue is this will be my, maybe another tax tip, tax tip and barbecue. Barbecue is actually a good example. Question is, can you write off barbecue? Want to talk about that? Yeah. The answer is, if you structure it properly, you might. Here is a question would be, Okay. What do you use barbecue for? And let's imagine that you host regular barbecue gatherings for your investors, business partners, employees. So what you need for that is you need pretty nice grill. You know, you may need to have a setup. You need to buy meats and everything else. And booze, of course, you know, to have done it. And if you can have a legitimate business purpose, you might be able to do that. But it has to be like treated as... As business, as business setting and done in a business-like fashion. If you will have to show, if you ever, like, if I need to go and fight Uncle Sam on your behalf over that, we need to show them the frequency. We need to show them pictures. We need to identify. Look at all of these pictures. See who is here around barbecue. It's not his family. This guy is his business partner. This guy is his private lender. This guy is his student. This guy is his tax accountant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the picture. Okay, so that's
1: <laughs> so that's. I guess you just touched on the whole reason I started this podcast was so I could go taste barbecue and talk about it in a business setting. Yes, yes, <laughs> My brother yes. just commented on Facebook. He says they have a good barbecue spot
0: in Saint Petersburg.
1: Really? That's what he said. Yeah,
0: because he went. He I went am, over. I am all- from Saint Petersburg. You know, back when I was there there were no barbecue places. <laughs> the world's
1: changing, Michael, the world's changing.
0: Really? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thank hey you. man, um
1: rei taxfirm.com, like real estate investor com. is there a phone number people can call?
0: Uh yes, but it's better to go through the website. You yep. will get The number is 713-721-3321, but I would still recommend visit the website first, you know, on your phone or on your computer. You will get an idea of what we do, and you can contact us through the website. Of course, you can call, you know, but the fastest response will be going through the website.
1: All right. Well, Michael, again, thank you for being on the show. We'll get you up here to get some barbecue here soon. Sounds Uh, like a plan, team. For everybody listening or watching, we're out of time. Until next time, keep cooking. (laughs)
0: barbecue podcast. Make sure you check out our other episodes and stop by timhearage.com to say hi. We want to hear from you. Until next
1: time, keep Keep cooking. cooking.